Welcome to That's So dot 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 with me, Jess Bryan. That So is a monthly series here at That So Chronic where we get to chat about a book, a film, a documentary, an interview, just literally anything that's in our That So Chronic world. Today I am joined by Miranda Allen and we are discussing the documentary Unrest. Miranda, thank you so much for joining me today on That So Chronic. I'm really, really interested in hearing your perspective of this documentary. I was going to say I'm really excited to hear your perspective, but I'm not excited. I'm not excited that you know personally what this documentary is about. So I'm going with the word interested today. And what a documentary this is, eh? Like, it's a lot. Yeah, it's very moving. Yeah. Uh, I will get into that more later, but yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. That's the caveat I give anyone before I tell them to watch it. I'm like, get ready. It's a lot. Yeah. Before we launch right into chatting about the documentary, I thought that maybe I should share a little bit of information around it and what it is in case someone listening hasn't heard of this documentary. So it's on Netflix and it's called Unrest. It's an award-winning feature-length documentary that was created by Jennifer Bray, who is an independent documentary filmmaker based in LA. Jennifer was studying towards her PhD at Harvard when suddenly a mysterious illness left her bedridden. During this, she decided to turn the camera on her self and document the whole process. And the process and what unfolded over the next few years was an eventual diagnosis of myalgic encephalomyelitis. <laughs> oh my god, I've been practicing that for so long. Myalgic encephalomyelitis, or ME, or as listeners might have heard it referred to in the past as CFS or chronic fatigue syndrome. Miranda, you are a good friend of mine. You are a performer. You're especially an incredible escape artist. People might recognize you from the telly. You were on Penn and Teller's Fool Us. I'm going to have to link that in the show notes so people can go and watch that video because... I mean, I would try and explain it right now, but I don't think people would believe me. (laughs) You really need to see it to believe it. (laughs) You are from Canada, if people can't tell from your accent, but you are currently based in London. And I was trying to think, I can't even remember when we met. Oh, man. I I was like racking my brains. I don't know. How come I don't, how come I can't remember this? It was either in Adelaide or it might have been in Sydney. Or Edmonton. It was in Australia, when you Because like, you came over to the Edmonton friend. I feel like Idris introduced us. Yeah. But he's also everywhere we go, so that doesn't help. <laughs> it was somewhere around the mm-hmm. world, and it was a few years ago now. Although it doesn't feel like that long ago, but the pandemic years don't count. You yeah, know? it just messed up time. <laughs> but what people might not know, or... What some people might know, but they might not know the full extent, I guess, of what you've been going through. But in amongst all of this amazing performing work that you do, you have been going through your own journey of being diagnosed with ME. And when the idea came to 
talk about this documentary, it was like a no-brainer. Who better to have on the podcast than you? So thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, it is my pleasure. To be honest, when I was first mystery sick and couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, I kind of searched the internet for like a podcast or a community about being mystery sick and there wasn't anything. And when you started making this podcast, I was like... (gasps) This is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> oh, I love that so, so much. So I'm very excited to be here and contribute. Yay. Now, the documentary, which, as we said, mm-hmm. it's a lot. But if we start all the way at the beginning, the documentary starts with Jen or Jennifer, the filmmaker. And she's in the midst of trying to work out what's happening with her. And I think it's the first scene. It's the scene of her lying in a hospital bed and... Her husband, Amar, is with her and he says this line and he's like, if you say too little, they can't help you. But if you say too much, you're a mental patient, which is foreshadowing for what we're going to learn throughout the rest of the documentary. But immediately in those first scenes, I was just hit with like, oh my God, I can't believe they're actually filming this. Yeah. Like, can you imagine filming right at the beginning? Like when you had no idea what was going on? I can and I can't because I was so, so devastatingly beyond tired for years. And I have all of these pictures in my phone where I would be by myself and I don't know why, but I was just compelled to take like selfies of my face mm-hmm. because one of the things that happens when symptoms are flaring up is you you go really pale. Yeah. So I just I have all these selfies in my phone of me over and over trying to capture the like the kind of devastating emptiness. And I remember showing a couple of them to people and people being like, oh, yeah, that's a great photo of you. And I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> how do you not see I wonder if it's a sense of like if I film it and then I see it I know that like it's true exactly it's a thing that's actually happening yeah Yeah. so I I really appreciated that because she says in the movie like I didn't know what to do so I just kept filming yeah and I I yeah I even though I didn't go that far I I felt that urge to be like, someone please see what is happening to me. Yeah. But I'm very impressed that they like filmed so much and that they both got on board with it. And she kind of like admits the fact like right at the beginning, I remember she's doing like a piece to camera and she says, a lot of people would probably be thinking right now, like if I actually couldn't walk, why would I be filming that? And then she says, I think someone's needs to see this yeah and so at the beginning she's trying to get a diagnosis because no one really knows what's going on with her and I was wondering how did it make you feel watching that part of the film when you have also been going through that process of trying to just get a diagnosis I you know so I should say it was a while ago that I watched it like it was a little bit more than a month ago or something and I was like well should I watch it again and then I was like no I think I should try and remember my first impressions and I feel like watching that part was less emotional and more just like yep yep (laughs) it's like yep lols I remember that garbage yeah yeah which sounds I hope that doesn't sound insensitive or something not at all no that's so interesting and I think it is like for someone who you know that this is so out of their reality maybe they would be so confronted Mm -hmm. by doctors saying those things but I think when you're living it like nothing would surprise me anymore that would like come out of a doctor's mouth yeah yeah I guess that's a really good point one of the things that I want to talk about at some point is like who I think this documentary is really good 
for, like good to watch. Yes, yeah. And I think that that section in particular is, it's really effective for people who can't fathom doctors not being able to solve something. Because even for doctors, they have a hard time fathoming not being able to solve something. And that's a big part of why for a long time this condition has been dismissed because there was this period in medicine where they started figuring out what multiple sclerosis was, what rheumatoid arthritis was, yeah. like what all these things were. And then they just never figured this one out. That was so interesting in the film when they were like, they're, they're saying that like a lot of these conditions that no one knew what they were, they were labeled as hysteria. And the immunologist, or I can't remember her name, the doctor that's speaking, and she's like, MS was classified as hysteria until they literally invented the machine to be able to scan the brain because they had no idea. And yeah. I was like, of course, it makes so much sense now. But like, why did we stop? Yeah. Do you remember what it was literally called? Oh, no. It was hysterical paralysis. That's right. Which is just like, <laughs> knowing what we know about MS now, it's just like, oh, what? <laughs> But it's true, like we learn yeah. throughout this documentary that a lot of people slash the majority of people have no idea what this condition is. And that same doctor that I mentioned before, you know, she was saying that like we've still got med students graduating that have absolutely no idea what this condition is. And it's super common, like the statistic that they say twice as many people have ME than have MS in the world. And like, I haven't fact checked that. I'm literally pulling that data from the documentary. It was, it's a 2017 documentary. So perhaps the data might be a little bit different now, but that was still quite confronting as well. And I was just thinking, you know, with you having been diagnosed with this and having to explain it to people or even doctors or people that you're seeing, what has been your findings like do people know of me when you when you say it to them so firstly in regards to fact checking the statistic i can't speak for the whole world but i know that in the uk it's true okay in the uk it's about two hundred fifty thousand people have me and like 130 or something maybe less maybe a hundred thousand i don't remember the exact ms statistic but it's it's basically wow but yeah in regards to doctors so I'm kind of lucky that I happened to move to the UK. Can I tell you a little bit of my diagnosis story? Yes, absolutely. So I really started struggling in 2017. I started going to the doctor going like, I'm too tired to function. And I had a really terrible doctor at first. He literally told me like, he didn't ask me any questions about my diet. He just went, oh, you eat bad food. Have a barbecue. Just have, and then his other one was like, oh, have some babies. That'll make you feel fulfilled. (laughs) Oh my God, I cannot. (laughs) So yeah, it was brutal. So then I got a better doctor who was actually from the UK and they're a lot less... In Canada, they kind of only like to do one test at a time, mm-hmm. but she was from the UK and she was like, nah, forget that. Let's just, let's run them all. We're going to run everything they'll let me run on you, which was great. And it all came back negative. So we were kind of stuck. And so initially she was like, let's just call it clinical burnout. Yes. Yeah. And so for a long time, that was the diagnosis that I had. And the treatment for that is basically the same as ME, you got to rest. So I was trying to do that. 2019, I was really bad. That's when I like couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. Sometimes I couldn't swallow properly. Uh, My mom had to come live with us to look after me. And then I gradually started to get better. I shot Penn and Teller Fool Us. um, (laughs) And like immediately after shooting it was lying in the bathtub and my performing partner had to bring me a glass of water because I couldn't like reach the cup on the counter. (laughs) Yeah. And then I had a little relapse for a few months, but started to improve again, um, especially because I couldn't overdo things during the pandemic because we couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, 
I moved to the UK, which was like quite a lot because we had to do all of the paperwork and the yeah. packing and figuring everything out. And so it was like a really intense summer and then a really intense move. And then we had to look for a flat in London, which is basically like, you know, like the ninth circle of hell and move into a new flat and all of that. And then so at Christmas, I had this really bad relapse. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite as bad as 2019, but it was pretty bad. Uh, Like I was housebound for several months. And so as soon as I got here, because I know I'm a sick person, I got a doctor and was like, okay, here's like all the files. I brought all my files from Canada. I was like, here's all the stuff. And then after like a month, I wasn't getting better from this sort of crash. So I contacted my doctor and I said, something is – oh, no, actually, the funny part happened first. So we were on the phone with Richard's parents and Richard's father – is a retired doctor of internal medicine. And he's he's just like a very funny, chatty old man. And as we're on Zoom with them, he goes, oh, you know, it's really interesting that you're in the UK now because the thing Miranda has in the UK is called something different. In the UK, they call it ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis. And it's a post-viral thing, like long COVID. And Richard's like, dad, what are you talking about? Because firstly, he's like, Miranda hasn't been diagnosed with anything other than burnout. And then secondly, he's like, Miranda hasn't had COVID. And he's like, no, 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 it's not long COVID. It's not COVID. It doesn't have anything to do. It's probably Epstein-Barr, but maybe it's this other thing. Um, but uh, but it's a post-viral condition like long COVID. And he just keeps on going with all these random facts about ME. And I'm just like, Zoop, Google. <laughs> and I went on the NHS website, which is amazing. Yeah. If anyone ever wants to like look up stuff about health info anywhere in the world, the NHS has like really strong, succinct info it's kind of like in Canada they're like don't google your illnesses and in the UK they're like we're just gonna make sure we're the first result on google yeah (laughs) and I matched every single symptom listed on the NHS website including the way that my symptoms progress exactly follow the like the mild moderate severe very severe categories Mm -hmm. so I was like holy smokes so when I didn't get better I uh called my doctor and was like hey so I'm not getting better from this recent bout of exhaustion I think there's something more going on I have all these other symptoms She goes, what do you think it might be? And I was like, well, let me tell you about this conversation I had with my father-in-law. And she was great. She goes, that's what I was thinking too. And I was like, oh my God, great. But she's really young. And this is the big thing without going into too much detail. This is the big thing is that especially in the UK, they have only decided in the last few years that ME is not a psychological condition. And the new recommendations regarding ME came out in April 2000. And 21. Wow. So I'm super lucky that I moved to a country where they're finally getting movement on how this is like considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also very lucky that I got a doctor who's like quite young. So it seems like she kind of was in the know. So yeah, so then I went through all of the various tests to rule everything out and they were all negative as suspected. So technically, I'm still waiting to be referred to a specialist for confirmation. But yeah. there's many, many doctors are like, I think it's very unlikely that it won't get confirmed. There are some things that I've tried to talk to her about since because I was I didn't have answers for, I, for so long I had no answers, so I yeah. like super dove deep into all of the science that I could find. There's some really good resources here. And so there are a few things I've talked to her about since that she kind of doesn't seem to know what I'm talking about and I've sort of had to like name drop some resources so that maybe she'll yeah. go <laughs> look into it. But generally when I talk to like friends and stuff in the UK, they're more likely to have heard of it or to actually understand the severity. If I talk to people in North America, they tend to understand it less. 
in North America, it's called CFS, chronic mm -hmm. fatigue syndrome. In the UK, it's myalgic encephalomyelitis. I always refer to it as myalgic encephalomyelitis, even though technically it's now called myalgic encephalomyelitis chronic fatigue syndrome because yeah. they still don't know what it is, so they still don't have a good name. But I always refer to it as ME because it, even though it's like technically wrong, the name is technically incorrect for what the disease is it sounds the scariest <laughs> and people are less likely to be like oh yeah i'm really tired too yeah well i mean that's what was like coming up i mean it's in the trailer one of these clips but you know they're sharing these comedians that are doing these jokes on tv that are just horrific you know saying like I mean, I'm not even going to repeat the joke because I think it's so insensitive and terrible, but it was so confronting. It's like, oh my God, people just have absolutely no idea. Even just fatigue is different to being tired, let yeah. alone like chronic fatigue or myalgic encephalomyelitis. One thing that I found when I was watching the documentary was that it didn't necessarily explain what ME chronic fatigue syndrome is I still felt like I needed that pre-existing knowledge to sort of watch the film I didn't leave going like oh this is what it is like I can ring my mum and tell her that this is this is what it is and I completely understand that it's there is still a lot of research going on about these things and perhaps one of the issues is, is that people in different countries don't agree on what it is. But I'm curious, what would be your definition of ME? So ME is classified as a neurological condition. Technically, it's classified as a complex, fluctuating, chronic neurological condition. Okay. So it's neurological because it affects the nervous system. It is chronic because it lasts for a really long time or forever. It's fluctuating, meaning it goes up and down in your symptoms. And that is kind of both micro and macro. So that can be over time, but that's also even like within the day. Mm -hmm. And it's complex, meaning it affects a lot of systems in the body. It affects cognitive function, cardiovascular, digestive, immune, respiratory, how your muscles work. It's, it's like, it's this crazy endless list of symptoms that it affects. But one of the biggest things that it does is it really messes up your mitochondria. So if you remember from high school, the mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell, <laughs> the energy factories of the body. And one of the things that ME does is it interferes with your body's ability to produce energy at a cellular level. So there's a recent study at the University of Newcastle that found that patients with ME were producing literally half the mitochondrial output of the control group. And it also does some really wild structural damage to the mitochondria, but that gets more complex. Yeah. So essentially it's a neurological condition that causes extreme, extreme fatigue, sometimes to the point that you can't do the, the basics of living. And that's something that Jen talks about in the documentary. She sort of shows us and explains a lot of her symptoms. Did you resonate with what she was showing us? Like she was saying things like, light and sound could be excruciatingly painful or there was just no thoughts, no words would come out. Is that what you also experienced? Yeah. So one of the things I should add is that technically they still don't know exactly how ME works. They still don't understand quite the sequence of things, but it, it definitely, like I said, it definitely affects the nervous system. And so when I was really sick in 2019, if someone would close a cupboard door, I would dive to the ground, yeah. my whole body would seize up and I wouldn't be able to stop sobbing. 
Like my whole body would just think it was under attack. I looked like someone who had just come back from combat with PTSD. Like there would be like a tiny, tiny sound. People putting their fork down like on a plate. Yeah. Light. I was never as sensitive to light as some people get. Mm-hmm. Though I'm still a bit funny about like in the evening when it starts to get darker, what angle electric lights are in relation to my eyes. Because if they kind of glare into my eye in a certain way, it gives me a really particular headache that's terrible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, sound sensitivity, absolutely. All the videos of her crawling, like, oh, so, so relatable. I also had a few really scary falls where I'd like get up in the night to go to the toilet and I would just fall over. Yeah. Like my body would just be like, nope. One time I smashed my hip on the door handle of the bedroom as I was falling. And it was it was so scary. Like in that moment, I was like, I, I feel like I'm an old person. Yeah. Yeah. It was really scary. Yeah. Muscle weakness. Sometimes smells. I also got really sensitive to smells at times. Richard had to change his toothpaste because the particular toothpaste he was using, when I smelled his breath, I gagged. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was really like, it sounds so insane when you describe it. Yeah. But like, it was like my, all of my senses were just so intense, like painfully intense. Like the world was too sharp. Yeah. Then in terms of brain fog, absolutely. I relate to that. Emmy tends to, there are some specifics about the kind of brain fog you get. So you definitely get just like a general brain fog where your brain is just like, no, I'm, I have no brain juice to brain. Yeah, (laughs) But it does tend to particularly affect language. So there are times when I'll be like scrolling Facebook and then all of a sudden I'll be like, I can't read these words. Yeah. Like I can't casually read them at least. I have to like really focus. Or in conversation where I'll just like, I just, I will not be able to think of the word for something. Or when I'm, when I get really bad, I will like form a sentence in my head because I'm I'll I'll talk less because talking is tired and so I'll like form a sentence in my head and then I'll decide whether or not it's worth the energy to say it and then I will go to say it but my brain like is incapable of telling my mouth how to do how to eject them and in and there's a video there's a there is see I'm doing it right now a little bit (laughs) there's footage in the documentary of when she comes back from the parade yeah, and she's lying on the ground and she's just making these sounds and her partner's saying like, I can't understand you. And I don't remember that, but when we saw that, I watched it with my partner, Richard, who has been my carer. And that's one of the things I think is really wonderful about that movie is it really shows that relationship as well of like what that's like for a partner and carer. And I don't remember being like that in 2019. I remember stuttering and struggling to talk, but Richard is like, for months, that's what you sounded like. Wow. Yeah. What an amazing opportunity to be able to like see that on your TV screen and then like have him say that. That's so amazing that this documentary has been able to do that. Yeah. I'm really grateful that I watched it with Richard. Yeah. One of the, the kind of the best part of watching that documentary for us was Obviously, you know, I'm, I have or am very close to a diagnosis now and we, now we know what's happening in my body a bit more and all of that is very validating, but there was something validating in a much deeper, more human emotional way of watching this couple deal with what we had been dealing with and it felt very validating and cathartic to watch them, to watch them grow through it. And yeah, I'm, so that was, that was really special to watch that with him. And um, 
just watch another couple go through those struggles and experience it and just be like, oh, we're not alone. We specifically were laughing about like the tent fight that they have. They have a conversation around <laughs> tent and mold. And afterwards I was like, I'm so sorry. We have the last time that that happened, we were before I got diagnosed, we were going to see what would happen if we completely eliminate because I don't eat gluten, but Richard eats gluten. So we're like, what happens if we completely eliminate it from the house? But we still had like gluten things in the house that had to get eaten first. And so we had the most like ridiculous conversation about crumbs where I'm like, I don't know, Richard, I'm just trying to, I don't know. <laughs> we totally had the 10 fight about crumbs. <laughs> and that is what a lot of the documentary shows, like it does really hone in on their relationship. And side note, her husband, Amar, he was like on Oprah. Like Oprah's like the guy that, I'm going to try and do an American accent, the guy that like introduced me to email is this guy. Like what? hang on a second wait what he's like super famous in his field yeah he sounds like he was doing really really big stuff before yeah the emmy yeah which is just a sneaky little jerk that emmy it really is and it's so vulnerable what they're sharing like there's this moment where she's crawling up the stairs it's towards the beginning and she's like no keep filming and he's like, this is the least chivalrous thing I've ever done in my life. Like, I can't believe I'm not helping you right now, Kind of is the vibe that he's sharing. And it's like, yeah, they were, they not only are so vulnerable and share so much of their story with us, but that also is like a whole other thing that they were sharing while they were also going through all of this. Like, it was really, I don't even really know the word. It was like eye-opening validating and special yeah. I guess to see but personal personal this thing that I can yeah it's very really yeah. personal something that really affects him is when he he says that it's when he starts to look at their life through other people's eyes and he said that people feel sorry for me and that really hits a nerve and when he said that like that just it hit a nerve for me because that is one of my least favorite things is people feeling sorry for me and the way that they like used their words to describe they were just so articulate with it as well and like really quite eloquent and they're in like really dark moments when they're sharing these little gems of wisdom with us and yeah I was wondering how that made you feel like watching a relationship go through something that you're going through yeah it made me feel seen and somehow made it feel a little bit less in vain which I realized that like the documentary existing has no sway over the outcome of my illness. But, you know, they talk a lot in the documentary about how Emmy kind of erases people. They refer to the missing millions. It's like you just disappear, you know? And I'm doing my best to not disappear because, like, I've always just been an out there person. But something about seeing someone else go through it is like, oh, this isn't like an invalid or a made up crazy experience that's just in our head this isn't us being like a bad couple or me being yeah. bad at health this is this is a thing that yeah. there are people going through and we're part of something yeah there's this really amazing line when jen says it was like i had died and i was forced to watch the world move on and i was like oh my god that is so it and speaking and like circling all the way back to when you were saying, talking about your symptoms and you were saying, you know, the brain fog and not being able to think of a word. I just want to let the listeners know that you have actually brought something amazing to our podcast recording session today. 
in just in case a moment like that happened. Now, Marie, you can't see this, but there will be a video on at That's So Chronic on social media. Miranda has like a color wheel, spinny wheel of death, you know, like when your laptop is dying and something won't load, it does this color spinny wheel. Miranda has that wheel that she can spin. It's just brilliant. Yeah, I was doing a podcast a while ago and I was like, in pretty rough shape, but we'd already put the podcast off several times. And so I didn't want to bail on it. So I was like, but it was for street performers. So everyone has this like wacky sense of humor in the audience. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to make this spinny buffering color wheel. So when my brain stops working, um, I can just go like this. I hit the mic. I was hoping that would make a whoosh sound. (laughs) Yes, I can hear it. Yes. So in this interview, I haven't had to use it yet, though. I can feel my cognition going a little bit. If uh, if I do get lost, I'll hold up my color wheel. And if I don't have the word for buffering, Jess can say it for me. Yeah. Buffering. That's it. Why didn't I think of the word buffering? Of course, it's buffering. That was that little spinny, <laughs> colorful circle wheel of death. <laughs> it's yeah. buffering. Everyone knows what that is when your computer's just like, whoa, whoa, give me yeah. a second. <laughs> Something else that happens in the documentary, because I'm conscious that I don't want to give too much away because I think people should definitely go and watch it after they listen to this podcast episode. However, something else that does happen is that there are a lot of cures that have come from YouTube that Jen and her husband decide to give it a go. And whether they, you know, have just decided to give it a go or whether it's like necessity that they have to just give something a go to try and feel better it is a lot and I'm wondering do you think that the wacky cures that you find on the internet would be something a path that you would go down or have gone down I haven't done that so the documentary came out in 2017 uh it's 2022 now and fortunately in the last five years there is quite a bit more research that's been recognized Mm -hmm. kind of for the last like 10 or so years there's been much better research happening and I'm also lucky that I live in the UK there's some really good resources in the UK Um, there's the ME association which can be joined by anyone anywhere in the world and there's also some literature on their website you can get even if you're not a member and they have a lot of really good information and there's also action for ME which I've only pulled a few resources for for myself but they're also quite good so I went for like I was basically like, I'm going to start with the peer-reviewed stuff, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm going to go for that from there. And I was lucky that there was stuff available for me. Yeah. But I think also because I was mystery sick for so long, I just got so frustrated and tired of people being like, oh, you should have kale. You should do this thing. You should try intermittent fasting. You should send my friend $500 and pictures of your eyeballs. <laughs> like, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. So for me, I I haven't gone into that world yet though I will say that some people do get results from certain supplements one of the struggles with ME is that we we still don't know if it's all one thing or if there's like many strains and kinds and so some people get results from certain things that other people get like nothing from Mm -hmm. so maybe at some point I might try some supplements but I don't think I'll be trying any of the like super wacky stuff that she tried but you know each to their own I'm just thinking if someone's listening and it's working for you then that is great you know everybody is is different and if you've found something that works for you and it works if you're yeah and I'm trying to not give away the most yeah but like yeah if you're if you're getting the results and not causing harm 
you go for it. Exactly. But I do, I do also feel that when there's illnesses that don't have an easy fix, there is like a lot of snake oil that shows up, unfortunately, yeah. trying to like take advantage of. But I am lucky, I will say, in that I live fairly close to the Royal Free Hospital, which is where like one of the big outbreaks they talked about in the documentary happens. And they have continued looking into ME ever ah. since then. So the specialist that I'm waiting to see is actually fatigue services at the Royal Free Hospital. So Amazing. I'm very lucky to be in their catchment area. It's all connected. Yeah. It's all full circle. Yeah. You mentioned at the beginning that you wanted to chat a little bit about like who this documentary would be for. Yeah. So my overall sort of takeaway sort of mm, review, I guess, of this film is that I think it's, I think it's incredible. Like, I think it's really wonderful. I think that it does a really great job of portraying the lived experience of severe ME, ME-CFS. Now, some of the things it doesn't do, it doesn't talk about living with mild or moderate ME-CFS. It very briefly mentions that some people have this condition and manage to live normal lives. Mm. Very, very briefly. But it's, it's basically entirely about people with severe ME. CFS, which makes sense because that's kind of the most moving situation. And the other thing that it doesn't do is it it only really kind of touches like a little bit on the sciencey stuff. Like you said, it doesn't yeah. even really talk about what it is. There is a new documentary that's just come out that I'll briefly mention if that's okay yeah. from the German channel DW, and it's just called What is Chronic Fatigue Syndrome? And it came out very recently and it has like, it's it's way more science focused, like to the point that I had to rewind it a lot to be like, wait, what are you talking about? Yeah. And like, I'm reading summaries of all the studies that are coming out right now and like I still have to be like okay wait what what do you say yeah but it's it's way more sciencey mm -hmm. and it's very interesting but yeah so this so unrest is really about the lived experience of Emmy so I think that like for me I told my dad I told him that it was gonna be very intense but my dad was having a really hard time understanding what was going on with me and he just kept telling me to get out and exercise which is not recommended for Emmy because of something called post-exertional malaise he really struggled to understand. And so I said to my dad, this is going to be really hard to watch, but I think it's, I think that if you watch this, you'll have more of an understanding of what I'm going through. But do keep in mind that I'm like more at the like kind of high moderate, like I'm closer to moderate, even though I'm still classified as severe, Yeah. you know, whereas this is like severe and very severe people. Yeah. So I sort of told him to keep that in mind. My mother, who was there when I was very severe, who was there when I couldn't lift my head up off the floor and I was screaming and crying because I didn't know what was wrong with me and I didn't know why I couldn't stand up. I don't think she should watch it. Yeah. Maybe she should watch it with another person for some catharsis, but like, I don't, I don't think she needs it Yeah. because she was there. For Richard and I, who have lived with this for several years now, we've had time to process. It was really cathartic to watch. Yeah. So I think if you if you have MECFS and you have someone in your life that you want to understand the severity, it's great for that. I think that if you have MECFS and you've had time to process, it's gr a great way to feel seen. If you just got diagnosed, just like hold up a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Go do some reading, like monitor your body for a little while, you know, and then if you want to watch it because you're interested, go for it. But like, this should not be your first resource. What would be your rating out of five stars? Then? I think I'd give it a five. Nice. Because it's a, it's a pretty cool moving piece of art. And I also think that like, if you're listening to this and you don't have ME and you don't have anyone in your life that has ME and you're just like, 
medicine is cool. Because, like, I'll say ME is a cool disease. If I wasn't so disappointed yeah. that it was in my body, I would be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> like, it is a cool, weird, mean, like, if, you know, like, if I was a supervillain, I'd be like, mm, yes, well done, my child. Yeah. It's it's quite an interesting science problem. So if you, if it's not touching your life in a personal way and you're curious, please go watch this documentary. As a documentary film and a piece of art, five stars. As, like, yeah. like a... Something that like is moving and cathartic and goes into the depth of the lived experience of Emmy, five stars. As a medical resource for Emmy, two stars. <laughs> yeah. That's really interesting, everything that you have said. Cause I wrote down a few notes when I was like, God, what am I, what am I gonna rate this like out of five? And I kind of settled on a four point five. It's exactly like what you said, because I do feel like it's a incredibly moving and like brilliant piece of art and I adore it for its like documentary style like I mean for goodness sake they recorded and interviewed themselves in the darkest of moments and also what we haven't said because we'll leave it up for a surprise when you watch it but that it's not just Jen's experience of living with I love that I call her Jen now I'm like we're friends <laughs> Jennifer's experience of living with Emmy CFS it's also a whole number of people from around the world and their yeah. stories as well. And, you know, as a person who is the host of That So Chronic, I really appreciate that. And I really enjoyed for that. And she directed and produced it from bed. Yeah. Like, it's so amazing. Yeah. It does also go into my, like, as a medical resource for Emmy, two stars, because, like, I am so, 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 so grateful that she made this documentary and it's absolutely beautiful. But also, like, Jen, go rest. Girl. Yes. You got Emmy. <laughs> You need to settle, like, or that's going to get worse. Yeah. And I think I was like, from a person who doesn't have Emmy, I was like, I didn't enjoy the documentary because I'm like, how can I enjoy watching people in this much pain and families or relationships that are in this much pain? Like, it, it wasn't necessarily enjoyable for me to watch that. But then I really appreciated being able to see what they were going through. Yeah. But I think it's it's kind of like what you said. I think if you had some pre-existing knowledge of the condition, I think it's a really great watch to just get a little bit deeper and like understand from a patient's perspective like how how it feels. And I'm not too sure if it was like your first foray into this condition, whether you would leave like I don't know what you would leave thinking. Like I'm not sure if you would because you know how like a whole big thing is whether people believe it's a thing yeah. and I I really hope that someone would leave understanding but I don't know whether the the science was strong enough for someone who's never heard of it to leave and be like of course I get it now yeah. but as a piece of art again five yeah. stars yeah that's a good question would someone I don't know I guess it would depend on like what stigma that person was already coming in with like what prejudice yeah that's true oh no I lost it back to me in New Zealand they always have like when you get put on hold it's always Dave Dobbins loyal so we'll just when you're buffering we'll just be like call me loyal I don't know that <laughs> I say you're loyal too I'm not sure if that will make the final edit of this <laughs> I can't remember what I was gonna say you said something that made me think of something Oh, with her, like, pushing herself and making the documentary and stuff. I do also relate to that. And and there's something very empowering and, like, feel good about the fact that she did make it. Because yeah. it, it sometimes feels like with this, this condition, you're not allowed to do anything that you like ever. Because you can't get your heart rate yeah. up. You can't, like, you can't exert yourself 
very much. So just to like feel like you did something, you know, can feel really good. So I do, yeah. I do also go like, yeah, girl, you made a thing from bed. That's so funny that you say that because literally the next note on my Google Doc is, but I think five stars for Jen, like filming this. Oh, what the heck? Yeah. And like you said, like <laughs> just the fact that like in the early acute stages when she's like crawling up the stairs and like getting like she has the crate like the hand cramp right where her hand won't, yeah. up, won't work like just filming all of that it, it felt so good to see someone just film that I will say that that was a crazy symptom that I had in the early days is that if my hand was holding something it would just throw it sometimes like I was just yeah. holding something <laughs> my hand would just be like nope and my phone would just like fly like the reason I have such a big case on my phone is because sometimes my hand just decides it's done and it just like, yeah. it, sometimes it just drops things, but sometimes it like spasms and drops things, which is throwing. I just had an interesting idea that it's also possible that, because you know, one of the like doctors sort of says at the beginning of his interview, oh, this is, this is a interesting way to do an interview. He did, he felt kind of uncomfortable that she was on Skype or Zoom in the background while the actual like film crew was there with him. And they weren't the ones asking the questions like she was on a computer. And I'm like, maybe it's that, you know, the science people just couldn't quite get their head around the way that the film was actually being made. Mm. Whereas like the other people that also are living with the condition will, would probably have been like, fuck yeah, this is, of course, this is how we're making this. Yeah, of course I do everything remotely because I can't get out of bed and sitting up at yeah. 20 degrees is exercise for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Food for thought. The documentary ends on a note of gratitude, and I thought that perhaps we could end this podcast on a little note of gratitude as well. So, Miranda, what is something that you are grateful for today? I am grateful for, um, is it a capo that I say I'm grateful for being on this podcast? Because I'm really grateful for being on this podcast. And I swear to God, I was not fishing for that. <laughs> that didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> no, I'm just so grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful to be on this podcast for many reasons. I'm grateful that I get to see you and talk to you and talk with you about something that's going on in my life. I'm grateful to have the opportunity to help spread the word about this condition that's like very unknown, but also quite prolific as these types of things go. I'm grateful that you have this podcast. And I'm also grateful to live in a time where I can be in my daytime pajamas on my couch because I have daytime and nighttime pajamas because that's yes, how I make myself it. feel good about being a sick person. Um, <laughs> but that I can be here in the UK recording this podcast with you in New Zealand and that I get to be able to see my friends all over the world with technology that's so true because even the documentary we're talking about what couldn't have gotten made if people weren't able to do all those interviews on zoom and a lot of the information about her condition would not have been found if it wasn't for the internet like the internet played such a pivotal role yeah. I'm grateful for you as well and something that I'm grateful for today which is a demonstration that sometimes being grateful for things can just be the smallest things I'm really grateful for the sunshine I get so much natural light in my bedroom now and it just I've moved houses and it just brings me so much joy that I can just like see the sun <laughs> or even just light it makes such a difference well Everyone is just going to have to comment on this episode post over on Instagram at That's So Chronic. 
say if you would like to hear more from Miranda, maybe we can convince her to come back and share her diagnosis and her story in a little bit more depth in an interview episode. So watch this space. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so much. Can I say one more? Oh yeah, go for it. I'm really grateful that I have some really wonderful people in my life that helped me buy a new electric wheelchair and it's going to be here in the next 24 hours so that I can go out and see more sunshine all by myself. And I'm really excited. I am so excited for you. You're going to have to keep us all updated on how that goes. I will. Yay. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And of course, thank you all for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. Just a reminder that Unrest is available to stream on Netflix here in New Zealand or on the official website, unrest.film. This episode was in no way sponsored, but if you would like to sponsor an episode or if you have something that you would like to have talked about on a That's So episode, I would love to hear from you. The details for all of the above are in the show notes. I would also love to know your thoughts on this documentary so let's keep the conversation going over on instagram you can find me at that's so chronic if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to leave a five star review on spotify or apple podcasts and why not share it with someone who you think might enjoy it as well i just really love making these that's so episodes so thank you so much for listening i'll see you next week for another interview episode